I'm home. Welcome to the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast, an introspective look at video gaming from the classic era to the modern day. Now here is your host, Brian. Hey folks, what's going on out there? Brian here, and this is episode number 40 of the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. Okay, quite a bit has gone on since last we left. Um, When I put forth episode 39 earlier this month. Um, Let's see, first thing. Um, I have a new supporter to the show, and I'm very grateful for that. His name is Kevin Hoffman. He sent me a message on Instagram, um, what, last month, I think, when I recorded episode 38. Um, And... We had a nice little discussion, and he asked me if there is a way to contribute, and I showed him how, and he did so, and now I have two, and I'm very grateful for that. Thank you. Thanks to you, Kevin, and once again, thanks to you, Benjamin, for supporting this show for as long as you have. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's a wonderful thing. I mean, it may not be much, but every little bit helps, especially once I start streaming. Okay, that's the small bit of news. Now I teased this on Facebook and Instagram um, earlier today before I showed up for my first shift but yes I am officially an employee in an arcade. (laughs) I must be crazy because that more or less takes away half of my uh, one day off that I have per week but you know what this is a bucket list thing and i'm a lot closer to the end than i am to the beginning so it's time for me to scratch off a few of those items and this was one of them just a little bit of past history as i've said throughout the previous 39 episodes of the show um my main arcade was the trumbull mall arcade which was a couple miles away from my house uh, growing up in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and I used to hang out there all the time. Um, right around, I want to say, oh God, what was the year? It had to be 84, somewhere in there, 84 going into 85. Um, I was hanging out at the arcade a lot, and um, I think the manager of the place who owned all the games, I think that's who it was. His name was Eric. Um, so to go back a little further um carlo who was part of the mall's uh security team he you know ran the arcade um and he did so for years i mean from at least 1979 up until probably about 1984 i think maybe even a little earlier maybe 83 i'm not sure but all i know is is that i walk in one day and this guy Eric is there and he's you know more or less dressed in business casual clothing and I I should have asked him if he owned the arcade uh so yeah going 84 going into 85 um let's see well 84 yeah I'm 15 going on 16 um I'm hanging out at the mall pretty much almost every day at this point especially during the summer and um every so often Eric would come up to me and ask if I wanted some credits on a machine. And, of course, being, you know, a video game junkie at that point in my life, 
I would say, of course. And he'd say, okay, I want you to clean, you know, clean all the screens on all the machines. And uh, you just tell me which machine you want your token, your quarter, your credits in, and I'll fill it up for you. I'm like, okay, deal. So I cleaned all of the screens of the machine, of all the machines at this point. Oh my goodness, I want to say Trouble Mall Arcade at about 1984. I think they had probably about 40 machines, somewhere between 30 and 40. And I cleaned all the screens. Took me, I'd say, probably about 20 minutes to half an hour. You know, spray it down with some window cleaner, wipe it clean with a paper towel, onto the next one, and so forth. And reported back to Eric, and he said, "Okay." And he checked it out to make sure that I did it. And he said, "Okay, which machine do you want your credits on?" I did this a couple of times, but the only time that I remember what game I really wanted was uh, Super Punch Out at the time. Um, at this point, I'm in a somewhat rivalry with my friend Mark uh, to get the top score on the machine. He put up a score, I beat it, uh, then sometime later that day, he'd come around, either I was there or I was gone, and he'd come in and beat that score. Uh, the machine would be reset, like the next day, I'd come in, put in a, put up a score, Mark would beat it, I'd come back later in that day, see that he was there, and, and you know, play it again and beat that score and then he'd come back and beat it you know it was sort of like that it was sort of like you know we were playing uh playing tag with each other through uh video game high scores so um so yeah i said you know i basically said to eric yeah um yeah i want uh super punch on he's like okay and he went and got his keys opened up the coin door and put like oh my god how many did he put it was at least 30 30 credits on that machine at least i stood there and played super punch out for oh my goodness i want to say three hours because <laughs> i was actually halfway decent at the game i mean not on the level of a salad one who can actually straight nine the machine but i was pretty decent so yeah i mean that's my memory of that and ever since then you know i always wanted to work in an arcade um, I would talk to uh, the manager at uh, Spanky's. Uh, his name was Mark also. Uh, I got to know him pretty good, and we became pretty good friends. Um, and I asked him, you know, I asked him if I could work there, and he was like, no, number one, you're too young. Uh, number two, um, I wouldn't have hours for you because I'm here all the time. And I'm trying to remember, what year was Andy working there? I think that was 83. I think it was 83 when he was working there. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I've always wanted to work in an arcade ever since I was a teenager. And now it's happened. Um, you know, long story short, I went up to the arcade in Brighton. Oh, goodness, what was it? Oh, Sunday before last, two weeks ago. And I'm up there just playing games and so forth. And, you know, I'm, you know, going from machine to machine playing game, you know, playing, you know, playing games and, you know, having a little fun with it. And the girl who was at the front counter, um, you know, who took my money and gave me a wristband, um, she came over to me while I was playing, oh God, what was I playing? I think I was playing, um, Bosconian. And he, and she said to me, 
or was it Bosconi or was it something else? Hold on a minute. Now I gotta think. No, it was Ms. Pac-Man, that's right. I was playing Hyper Ms. Pac-Man at the time. And she asked me uh, if I knew anybody who would, you know, who would be interested in a job here. And I said, yeah, I can recommend myself. And she said, okay, what's your background? And I went on to tell her, you know, how long I've been playing video games and so forth and so on. And she said, okay, um, let me talk to my manager. Um... And let me get your phone number. Let me talk to my manager and let's set up an interview. I said, okay, cool. Beautiful. So that day goes by. I don't think much of it. It was interesting that, you know, she kind of picked me out. But um, so a couple days goes by and sure enough, you know, my phone rings and she, or no, it wasn't my phone. She texted me. That's right. And she basically, and she said, um, okay, can you show up on Friday for an interview? And I said, sure, I can do that. Um, so I did. And, you know, Friday comes and I go there. But one, uh, the man, I guess the owner of the place wanted uh, another employee there, you know, to kind of, I guess, get another pair of eyes on me or another opinion or so, so forth. And so, you know, uh, they came back and said, um, you know, apparently just before I showed up there, she texted me asking me to come Saturday and I didn't see it. It was okay because, you know, there were circumstances there that, you know, had me up in that area. So it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't like wasted time or anything. So they said, yeah, can you come back on Saturday? And I said, yeah, I can come up. I can come up Saturday. No problem. So this was last week. And so I go up there and we have a nice little interview between her, myself and one of her coworkers, who's, his name is Thaddeus. And, you know, they asked me, you know, the whole things about, you know, what's your experience with video games and so forth and so on. There's a part of me that just wanted to bust out laughing because, yeah, I've basically been playing video games, games since the age of uh, six or seven. And, you know, you know, every, you know, every classic game that uh, the arcade has, I've played, you know, some of them I'm really good at, some of them I'm passable at, so forth and so on. But, yeah, so apparently... Uh, I impressed because um, after she's basically said she wanted to talk to the boss and stuff and so forth like that, and or they were going to talk to the boss, so they'll you know text me and so forth. And um, no, that's not how it happened. Jeez, I'm getting all confused. Um, basically, apparently I'd said enough because uh, she basically said, um, you know, can you work um, the what was it, the 20, 26th? Yeah, that's what it was. Can you work the 26th? I said, sure, I can do that. And, you know, so I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. So a couple more days goes by, and I get a text from her saying um, one of their employees uh, they let go because apparently he wasn't working out. Can you show up uh, on the 19th? I said, okay, no problem. I'll be there. And, you know, so the rest of the week goes by, everything, you know, nothing out of the ordinary. And I, you know, get up this morning, you know, get everything, get all my affairs in order. And, you know, I drive up there and, you know, yeah, I had a shift from six o'clock until closing time, which was 11. And it was all right. It was cool. I mean, Hannah's a really nice person and you know we were talking about stuff and she was showing me you know uh, all the various things that I need to know being you know um, 
you know, being an employee and have you know, knowing, you know, here are the switches to turn on certain games, here are the switches to turn them off, and, you know, there's a certain way to turn on and off, you know, all our pinball machines and stuff like that. And, you know, it was pretty cool. And it was an interesting evening, and, you know, we took, uh, you know, I learned, you know, I didn't learn, I'm pretty good at customer service, but, you know, I greeted customers and, you know, explained things, um, you know, we asked them if it was their first time being here, and if it was, the answer was yes, I explained how the arcade worked, and if not, I just said, okay, um, you know, $20, please, and, you know, took money, gave change, you know, the usual stuff, and it was cool, you know, everything was, everything was a good right up until, uh, closing time, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, Vic Sage, you're not the only arcade employee out there now with a podcast, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding Vic you know you know I love you um anyway so yeah that's what's going on with me um I'm gonna be going up and I'll be working there every Saturday and we'll see what happens from this I mean it's not a difficult job you know so if it was like you know really mentally stressful or physically stressful I probably wouldn't keep it but you know I didn't think it would be but you know I'm looking forward to see what this goes on. I learned that the owner of the arcade uh, is really, really passionate about video games. And I, I said to Hannah at the time, I said, that's the best thing I could hear about the guy who owns the arcade. You know, because you have to have a passion for this. Go ask Doc Mack. You know, if there's one guy on this planet who's passionate about video games and loves running an arcade, it's that guy. So, you know, I was really happy to hear that because um, I think he's all looking for ways to make the arcade better, and I had several suggestions being a patron of the place for the last, what, six years? So, yeah, everything's work working out. The f first night was pretty good, and we'll see how it goes next week. So that's my news. <laughs> you know, I'm quite happy about this. This is something, like I said, I've been wanting to do since I was a kid, and here I am in my 50s, you know, you know, scratching that off the bucket list. Okay, so with that done, um, I checked all uh, messages and emails, and there's nothing. So once again, you got uh, questions, comments, thoughts, uh, a video game you would like me to cover in depth, um, by all means, get a hold of me, arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. Also, there's a number for voicemails. That number is 734-743-2433. Also, I am on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. On Facebook, just search for Confessions of an Arcade Addict. It'll take you right to the page. And I've been remiss. I should be telling you about the homepage of the podcast, which is on Anchor. And that address is anchor.fm slash coaa that'll take you right to the page uh you can listen to episodes uh, i think you can make you know leave comments and so forth and if you wish to uh donate to the program which will go towards uh various things like trips to other arcades um the various trips that i'm planning on taking like the one to chicago later this year if i have the time and money to do so um, and things like that, and also probably uh, those funds will go towards um, the next step with this uh, podcast, which is going into the streaming 
uh, avenue. And so, you know, if you want to help out with that and get it on the ground floor, by all means, uh, go to anchor.fm slash COAA and click the donate button. Uh, also, um, let's see, on Instagram, I am Arcade Addict Brian, all one word. On Twitter, I am Arcade Addict underscore B. And Tumblr is tumblr.com slash blog slash Confessions of an Arcade Addict. So, once again, multiple ways of getting hold of the show if you're so inclined. And like I said, as long as you're civil with what you've got to say, be it positive or negative, we can have a discussion about whatever's on your mind. So then, with all of that out of the way, let's get on to the show. I've got a lot to talk about, and I'm still jazzed. I'm still on a little bit of a high from doing something I've always wanted to do for a long time. So let's use that energy and get through this show. And that segment is Top Tens. Top Tens, PlayStation 1 games. Okay, um, even though my roommate got a PlayStation in 1995 and I got my own the following year or in 1997, um, after we parted ways, and as much as I loved the system, I didn't go ham on buying up games with it. Um, that would be the system successor, the PlayStation 2. I did play a lot of them through the uh, lifespan of the console, and I would always be on the lookout for used games at reasonable prices. Um, this system had 4,000 titles for it by the end of its run, uh, so here we are with the ones I liked and played the most. Um, once again, uh, just a top 10 list, not in particular order, and they came up as I thought of them. And I looked through the various, um, the list of games on Wikipedia for the PlayStation 1, and that took a little while, <laughs> you know, because I would see a name and I would remember it, and I'm like, yeah, I like that game, I can put it on this list, and that took a little time. But anyway, let's get right on to it. Uh, Tokan Retsuden 2. Um, my roommate had a lot of hookups at her job. And uh, through one of them, she was able to purchase a cartridge that plugged into the back of the PS1 along with a weighted ring of metal. Those who know this particular hack and with this particular cartridge know what I'm talking about. Um, when these things are used correctly, uh, these two items would allow you to play Japanese titles on American systems. Uh, one of the ones that I liked the most was this title, uh, Tokan Retsuden 2. Uh, it was one of the most fun uh, professional wrestling games that I've ever played, and certainly one of the best for this system. Um, almost all the New Japan Pro Wrestling stars at the time were represented in this game, uh, like, oh, let's see, um, oh goodness, Masahiro Chono, um, oh goodness, uh, uh, oh goodness, I'm, I'm forget. oh, Hiro Hiroshi Hase, and, you know, guys like that. In, the, in like those eras. Um, I was familiar with some of these guys because they would come over and go on uh, professional wrestling cards in the States, like in uh, World Championship Wrestling or the WWF. And I would see these guys and I'd be like, wow, these guys are pretty cool. You know, the Great Muda, that's another one. Um, if I'm not mistaken, this game had like three iterations of Muda. You know, but I was most familiar with like uh, the first iteration because he actually came into uh, World Championship Wrestling uh, 
and he was there probably about three to six months and he cut a swath through that federation to the point where they had him wrestle Ric Flair for the title and Ric Flair always won by like this ridiculous uh, rule or he got disqualified or counted out because they weren't going to give the title to a Japanese wrestler that wasn't going to be there long term of course but anyway um, once you figured out the menu system in this game because of course it's all in Japanese um, you could have a whole lot of different matches like you know uh, tag team um, I had like at least five or six match modes from what I understand and what I remember I cannot for the life of me remember all of it and I haven't been able to play this game in a long time number one I don't have the cartridge and number two I don't know where my PlayStation 1 is it's somewhere and I have no idea where it is I looked for it like a month ago but anyway um, I still own this game to this day it's still part of my collection um, and yeah it was a lot of fun I mean one of the best wrestling games and they would only get better through the years Final Fantasy 7 as far as I'm concerned, this is the be-all and end-all of all RPGs. Um, back in the day, 1997, when this came out, my roommate, myself, and a friend of ours, were we were all racing to get to the end of this game. Um, I think I stopped about three-quarters of the way through it because I wanted to defeat the weapons to get the really good... Uh, weapons and and items and materia uh, just before you take on Sephiroth at the end who's the main character's arch nemesis um, but the prospect of obtaining and leveling that equipment and materia to take out the weapons was a little too daunting I mean you had to devote a lot of time to uh, improving the materia and getting the right items to be able to defeat the weapons which were these uh, ridiculously large monsters and they had specific attacks that could easily take out your entire party if you weren't uh, equipped the right way so you know I looked that in the face and I said nah I'm just not going to do that and I went on to another game God only knows what it was at the time um, let's see, um, I, one of the things I remember is that we were sharing two different walkthroughs, uh, between us, official, well, not official, they had an official one that Square made, and then there was an unofficial one that another company made, which actually went into, um, various other things in the game, like, <laughs> spoiler alert, um, in Final Fantasy VII, one of the main characters ends up getting killed by Sephiroth. Apparently, there was a way to hack the game to where you could actually get the character back. I don't know how it was done. Uh, I'd have to look it up, but my whole thing was is that they gave full stats for that character, including all of her limit breaks and so forth and so on. Um, and it was really, it was interesting to look at, because I was like, what do you have to do to get this character back? I don't know. But anyway, um, like I said, I've got, I've got this game on Steam, 
and whenever I get the itch to play it, that's what I use, as I can't find my PS1 in my closet, but full disclosure, my closet is jam-packed full of stuff. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to cleaning that closet out when it's time to move, but <laughs> that's something I'm going to have to do, but I digress. Um, I've seen streams of the remake, and it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, I want to buy it, but I'm waiting for the next part to come out before coming out of the pocket for this one, because uh, that's the only way that Square Enix lowers their prices on their games. Um, I'm really not in a hurry to play it, even though I'm really intrigued about it. I mean, I've seen uh, streamers on Twitch play it and play it all the way through the end. Um, I'm curious about it, but not really curious to plunk down my money on it right now. Okay, Street Fighter Alpha. Uh, this is my favorite fighting game on the PS1, without a doubt. Um, aside from the cripplingly slow loading times, it was a near-perfect port of the arcade game. Um, I love playing it. I would go through the game as Chun-Li. i go through the game as Ryu or Ken. Um, the only drawback that I had is that they completely changed Sagat, and I did not like the changes at all. Um... You, the redesign of the character required you to completely change your fighting style to suit what the character could do, and I just didn't want to devote the time to it. It was, you know, I was really upset with uh, Capcom for doing that, even though, you know, it's their game. What am I? Just a player of it. <laughs> uh, let's see. My favorite memory of this game was. Um, as a tie-in to the anime movie that they did in 1998, I think, either 97 or 98, somewhere in there, maybe even 96, um, a friend of mine, my former roommate, the one who stole my Genesis, uh, we're in my living room and we're playing um, Street Fighter Alpha. I had Ryu, he had Ken, and there is a mode in the game where it mirrors the final fight in the anime movie where they both take on Bison. Um, so, like I said, I was playing Ryu, he was playing Ken, and we were doing pretty well. And then one fight we had where, you know, going to town on Bison and our super meter was at level 3, which is full. And I don't know how we did it. Our timing was almost perfect, but we both set off level three super combos at the exact same time. I hit Bison with a level three Shinku Hadouken, which is like his uh, finishing moves uh, uh, Hadouken fireball. And then right on top of that, right at the very same time, he pulls off a level three Shinryuken, which is this spinning, jumping, spinning uh, dragon punch straight up in the air. So, basically, my fireball hits Bison, and then right after that, he goes with the Shinryuken, and then you keep hitting the punch button as you're executing the move to get more hits. So, we ended up with, like, a 21-hit level 3 super combo, and we got really pumped up about that. We were jazzed about it. We loved it. You know, it was great. Um, needless to say, Bison got the crap kicked out of him in that fight and uh we tried to recreate that magic for like the next hour or so but we couldn't do it 
it's just one of those things that just happens and without like ungodly amounts of practice it just will never happen again and it never did so yeah that's street fighter alpha uh the raiden project um i think i found this in a pawn shop for like five or ten bucks i was somewhat familiar with raiden i think i played it once or twice in the arcades you know at some point in my uh throughout my life in Florida I can't remember where but uh, when I saw that and it was only 10 bucks I immediately snapped it up um, my personal opinion Seibu Kaihatsu is the master of the vertical shooter I loved playing both games on this disc as it had both Raiden and Raiden 2 uh, I spent a lot of time getting good on these games and my high score on both of these games were both over a million points I think I beat the first game, and I think I was well on my way to beating the second game before I think something else came along and took my interest away. But yeah, the Raiden Project. Ridge Racer. Uh, as much as I like the arcade game, I like this port even more because it was more of a challenging series. It was more of a true racing game instead of just an arcade racer. Um, you would pick one particular car to go through the game and as you beat the others you would actually obtain those cars which was good because the very last car was a black car that looked sort of like a Lamborghini and it was the most difficult car to beat in the game it was really really fast but it wasn't very good in the corners and that was the way you could beat it and I always took the car that wasn't the fastest but was really good in the corners and I think I got close to beating it, but I never could. Um, it was, I love that game. I think, yeah, I still have it, as a matter of fact. And if I could ever find my PS1 games, they're in the closet somewhere, um, I'd pull that out and play it because, yeah, it's just that much fun. Okay, Lunar Silver Star Story Complete. I first became familiar with uh, Lunar the Silver Star through the game that was on the Sega CD. Um, my roommate brought it home from work one night. She had already gotten a Sega CD, um, and she was bringing home games for it on the regular. So, yeah, we played that one. Um, the story was pretty good. The gameplay was solid, and the cutscenes weren't too annoying. Um, full disclosure, I am not a fan of huge, drawn-out cutscenes in RPGs. Let's just get on with the story, you know. It's one of the things that Square Enix is infamous for, um, especially nowadays. I mean, I see ridiculously long cutscenes in uh, Final Fantasy XIV when uh, Buana is streaming it, and he's just sitting there, you know, and he's just either eating dinner or he's interacting with his, you know, with his uh, followers while the cutscene is going on and I'm just looking at the cutscene I'm looking at my watch I'm like it's been 20 minutes already what the hell is this so yeah I'm not a big fan of cutscenes um but yeah the RPG itself was pretty good um it followed pretty much in the same avenue along the same story I think it actually told the same story as a Sega CD game but um it was much lar larger it was a longer game, and it looked better, of course, because you're going from a 16-bit system to a 32, so everything looked better, and, you know, it was fun. 
I liked it a lot. Okay, moving right along. Uh, Ace Combat slash Air Combat. Uh, when this game came out, I was all about it. Um, my roommate brought this home one night. Um, I've always loved combat flight sims going all the way back to playing Gunship and F-15 Strike Eagle on the Commodore 64. Um, the game is a lot of fun, and little did I know at the time that this was the start of a franchise that would continue for me on the PS2. And I think I have an air combat game on my top 10s for the PS2. But we'll see. Stay tuned. Um, MechWarrior 2. Um, I was a huge Battletech fan back in the early 90s. I played a lot of the tabletop version back in those days, and of course I knew of the MechWarrior games for the PC. Uh, so imagine my surprise when they made this game for the PS1. Uh, someone on Facebook explained the difference between the Battletech games and the MechWarrior games, and I've been mentally kicking myself ever since for not seeing it. The Battletech games are more based on the turn-based tabletop games, which is what I was um, introduced to, and the MechWarrior games are first-person based, you know, more like first-person shooter based. <laughs> Silly me, I should have realized that a long time ago. Um, I did play it a few times, and you know, it's fun. I mean, it's like almost a direct port of the PC game. And like I said, it's all first person. You know, you have to, you know, walk and run your mech, you know, through various missions. And it's, it's interesting. You know, it's a good game. But, you know, um, I never was a huge fan of the MechWarrior games, to be honest. Um, I was always a big fan of the Battletech games. And God only knows that that fandom went out the window when I found out about Mega Mech years later. But I digress. Um, let's see, moving a line along, Namco Museum Volume 1. Uh, as much as I love the new and different games coming out for the PlayStation, um, every so often I would harken back to the classics just because. Um, I do have uh, compilation games like William's Arcade Hit, Greatest Arcades Hits Volume 1 and 2, and things like that, but I also got Namco Museum Volume 1. Um, this was a this compilation was the first of five, and I think this one and Volume Three were the best out of the set. Um, all the classic Namco games I grew up with, like Pac-Man and Dig Dumb, were represented, and there were a couple of Japanese titles included as well. Um, this would be the start of the compilation era, which was just fine by me. <laughs> you know, I will always you know play the classics because that's what I grew up with, you know, and that's what I love even to this day. Uh, Parasite Eve 1 and 2. Yes, that's a tie. <laughs> um, I know a lot of people were huge fans of uh, Resident Evil when it came out for the system, but I like Parasite Eve much, much better. I was a sucker for action RPGs, and these two games were good ones. Uh, I never played the third game in the series called The Third Birthday, but I did see a stream of it on Twitch a couple of weeks ago. Um when I wrote this, which I think was about three weeks ago to date, so that's about five weeks ago total. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the horror genre, but Parasite Eve didn't go too crazy with those elements, unlike Resident Evil, who turned it all the way up to 11. Um, I think I got away, I think I got about two-thirds of the way through the first game by the time the second one came out in 2000, and I had switched my attention to that one, and I never finished that one either. Um, let's see honorable mentions uh alien trilogy williams arcade greatest hits battle arena toshinden 
Bloody Roar 2, Bushido Blade, Colony Wars, Dragon Ball Z Ultimate Battle 22. That was an import that my roommate got, and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> we had a lot of fun with that game. Uh, let's see, Gran Turismo. As much as the game frustrated me, it was still a great game. Uh, Robotron X, which was the port from the Jaguar, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was the exact same game, just ported. Um, Soul Blade slash Soul Edge. Uh, Suikoden 1 and 2. And Wing Commander 3, Heart of the Tiger. And I love that game just for the fact it had Mark Hamill in it. So, sue me. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my top 10s with honorable mentions. Uh, thoughts, comments, questions, anything of those, anything of that nature, you know what to do. ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com. Okay, with that done, let's move on to story time. A body is a given life in the midst of nothingness. Existing where there is nothing is the meaning of the phrase, form is emptiness. That all things are provided for by nothingness is the meaning of the phrase, emptiness is form. One should not think that these are two separate things. Story time. 1983, the year of the home system conversions. Comic book ads, TV commercials, and the like. Word to the wise and to those listening, this entire thing is pure conjecture on my part as it was constructed of my memories of the time, so take it for what it is. As I've said before, in 1983, I had four things I was really into. Video games, comic books, girls, and Dungeons & Dragons. And considering how shy and awkward I was around most females that were not related to me, I think it's safe to say that I invested and indulged in three of the four things rather heavily. <laughs> I think that might even be an understatement. What was I thinking when I wrote that? Um, <laughs> as much as I liked girls with the rise of hip-hop and the growing need to project a certain image to be successful with the ladies, I just put that to the side as the few times I tried to talk to girls I was interested in did not meet with very much success. And that is the truth. <laughs> yeah. Um, this, of course, meant that in 1983, being 14 years old, having somehow navigated through the utter, utter nightmare of 8th grade in a private school, um, when the summertime came around, I threw myself headlong in my other main interests. I was collecting comics, I was playing D&D where and when I could, and when I wasn't playing the game with others, I was writing adventure scenarios, creating characters, buying rule books, adventure modules, and supplements nonstop. Uh, add to this my well-established and well-known video game addiction, and yeah, I was pretty well occupied, and I did not much lament the fact that I was terrible at talking to girls. As much as I would have liked to have a girlfriend back then, yeah, I was just not good. I was not smooth at all. Not like now, you know, where Billy D. Williams could learn a few lessons from me. <laughs> That's a joke, folks, okay? That's just a joke. Um, I had friends who were trying to get me to come out of my shell when it came to the opposite sex, but it wasn't easy for them or me. And that's just the truth. I was really, really shy. Ask anybody who knows me, you know, back then. Uh, so I want to say sometime in 1983... I noticed that there was a much more concerted effort to advertise home video games in magazines, comic books, um, and while there were always commercials on TV about video games, it seemed to me that there might have been an acceleration of such ads. 
uh, Atari and Parker Brothers seemed to spearhead this effort, as I would see ads in magazines and comics saying that Donkey Kong or Frogger has come home, and they would have this grid of TV or monitor screens showing a game on different systems. I think it went in this order. Uh, 2600, 50, no, Atari 5200, or the 8-bit computers, Intellivision, ColecoVision, VIC-20, Commodore 64, IBM PC, TI-99, and I think the Apple II. Another ad by Parker Brothers showed a screen of a game, say, like Frogger, and on the side of the ad space were small screen showings of other systems. I found it really interesting at the time. Um, my feeling is, and mind you guys, I've done zero research into this. This is just coming off the top of my head. Um, my feeling is that I think the video game companies were seeing a light at the end of the tunnel, and only the major players knew that it was the oncoming train known as the video game crash. Side note, I had I saw somebody on Facebook basically trying to sell his opinion that the video game crash of 1983 wasn't that bad. And I responded to this guy and I basically said, dude, I was there. It was not good. You know, the crash basically started the slow and inevitable decline of arcades and it more or less destroyed the home video game market in the United States and it would not get righted until 1985. But, you know, I never got a response from the dude. <laughs> but anyway, I can to continue. Um, I do remember thinking the market was saturated by games and companies coming out of nowhere to make games. And most of the games were substandard from what I remember. Um, the arcades were still doing business, but I was not noticing they weren't as packed as they were the previous year. Despite awesome games coming out like Dragon's Lair, Star Wars, and Spy Hunter to name a few. Um, I do often find myself wondering if I knew about what was coming and the subsequent massive price drop of home video games and what I would have actually done. <laughs> I probably would have bought five copies of everything and stored them in a bank vault someplace, anticipating the out-of-control collector's market today. And yes, folks, it is out of control for those who don't know. It is crazy, you know. It was already heading that way before the pandemic, but everything has just gotten much more expensive in a collector's standpoint with uh, the pandemic going on. <laughs> but yeah, you know, if I had known what was coming, you know, what, 30 or yeah, 30 years down the road, <laughs> yeah, you can be sure I'd have like a, a, a walk-in storage unit somewhere chock full of... Uh, video games for various systems because they're going for ridiculous prices these days. It's the market has just gone insane. Uh, but anyway, that's story time. Uh, just some thoughts that I had about a particular time in my video gaming life. Um, thoughts, questions, comments, you know what to do. Arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. Okay, let's move on to Are You Experienced? I'm too old for this. Hiding in front seats like a teenager. Oh, but I think I'm getting too old for this stuff. I'm getting too old for this. Listen, you was born too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. Lying red arse to my heather chasing other men's cattle. I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. Maybe you're getting too old for this. What do you think, huh? I'm not too old for this shit. I'm not too old for this shit. You will not. 
We're not too old for this shit. 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 I'm not gonna buy a hemorrhoid We're not too old for this shit. Argue you experienced Gorf. <laughs> I love this game. I always have. Um, it's just one of the game, one of the all-time classics. You know, midway. You know, somehow, some way, they managed to sneak this by Namco. I don't know how they did it, but they did it. <laughs> you know, and they also you know snuck it by uh, Taito too. Now that I think about it. But, you know, let's let's get into some information here. Um, once again, I'm pulling this from Wikipedia. Gorf is an arcade game released in 1981 by Midway Manufacturing, whose name was advertised as an acronym for Galactic Orbiting Robot Force. It is a fixed shooter with five distinct levels, the first of which is based on Space Invaders and another based on Galaxian. This game makes heavy use of synthesized speech for the Gorfian robot, which teases the player powered by the Votrax speech chip. Gorf allows the player to buy two additional lives per quarter before starting the game for a maximum of seven lives. The home ports omit the Galaxian stage for copyright reasons. Yeah, no kidding, right? Um, let's see, gameplay. Gorf is a fixed shooter in which the players take control of an unnamed starship from the Interstellar Space Force, capable of moving freely in all directions all around the lower third of the screen in an attempt to prevent the Gorfian Empire from conquering Earth. Uh, gameplay comprises five, uh, five distinct missions. Each mission presents its own distinct playstyle, but the central goal of each is to destroy all enemies. Successfully completing all five missions increases the player's rank, which represents the current difficulty level of the game, and loops back to the first mission. Gameplay continues until the player loses all of their lives. Before starting a new game, players can buy up to seven additional lives by purchasing more credits, and extra life is also granted by clearing the first five missions. Unlike similar games where the player can only fire their weapon after ex an existing shot has disappeared from the screen, the ship is equipped with a laser cannon capable of firing a single ver vertical shot called a quark laser at any time, although doing so causes the previous shot to disappear. Players can advance through the ranks of Space Cadet, Space Captain, Space Colonel, Space General, Space Warrior, and Space Avenger, which increases the speed and difficulty of the game and introduces more enemy patterns. Along the way, a robotic voice heckles and threatens the player, often calling and mocking the player by the current rank. For example, some galactic defender, you are Space Cadet. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that a few times. Um, depending on the version, the player's current rank is displayed via a series of integrated lit panels on the cabinet. The missions, uh, Astro Battles, which is a clone of Space Invaders. It is the only mission that takes place on Earth instead of space. 24 enemies attack in the classic pattern set by the original game. However, the player is protected by a parabolic force field that switches off temporarily when the player's shots pass through it and is gradually worn away by enemy fire. The second mission, Laser Attack. The, the first mission set in space where the player must battle two formations of five enemies. Each formation contains three yellow, yellow enemies that attempt to dive bomb the player. A white gunner that fires a single laser beam stream and a red miniature version of the Gorfian robot. Third mission, Galaxians. As the name implies, this mission is a clone of Galaxian, with the key differences being the number of enemies and the way the enemies fire against the player. 
the gameplay is otherwise similar to the original game. Uh, fourth mission, Space Warp. Uh, this mission places the player in sort of a wormhole where enemies fly outward from the center of the screen in an attempt to either shoot down or collide with the player's ship. It is possible to destroy enemy shots in this level. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it is not. I don't know where he got where this information came from, but no, it's not. <laughs> Trust me on that. I play this game constantly. Um, and the fifth mission, flagship. Uh, the flagship is protect, protected by its own force field, similar to the one protecting the player in mission one, and it flies back and forth, firing at the player. To defeat it, the player must break through the force field and destroy the ship's core. If a different part of the ship is hit, the player receives bonus points, and the part breaks off and flies in a random direction, potentially posing a risk to the player's ship. When the player successfully hits the core, the flagship explodes in a dramatic display. The player advances to the next rank, and play continue continues on mission one with the difficulty increased. Later encounters with the flagship on higher ranks include additional enemies during the mission. Uh, let's see, development. Gorf was originally designed to be a, a tie-in with Star Trek The Motion Picture, but after reading the film's script, the game designers realized that the concept would not work as a video game. However, the player's still ship still resembles the Starship Enterprise. The underlying hardware platform for Gorf allowed arcade operators to easily swap the patterned CPU and RAM boards with other similar games such as Wizard of War, since the only game logic and ROM boards are specific to each game. The game, the name of the game is also Frog, spelled backwards. Frog was the nickname of the of the designer, uh, Jamie Fenton, during college. Oh, that's interesting. I did not know that. That's cool. Uh, let's see. Gorf was released in North America in February of 1981, and notably became the first titles to use synthesized speech, powered by the Votrax speech chip, as well as one of the first games to feature multiple screens. Let's see, the game ports. Uh, Gorf was ported to the Atari 8-bit family, Atari 2600, 5200, BBC Micro, ColecoVision, Commodore 64, and VIC-20 by multiple developers between 1982 and 1983. Because of copyright issues, the Galaxian mission was removed from almost all versions. The Commodore 64 port is the only one that features synthesized speech via the Magic Voice Speech module. Hmm. I don't remember that. I think I had Gorf for my Commodore 64, too. I don't remember that. Uh, let's see. The reception. Uh, the arcade version reached the top of the U.S. Playmeter arcade shop charts in September 1981. The Atari 2600 version of the game received a Certificate of Merit in the category of Best Solitaire Video Game at the 4th Annual Arcade Awards and received the Best 1984 Computer Game Audiovisual Effects Award at the 5th Arkies the following year. At the 5th Annual Arkies, the judges pointed out the Atari versions had both outpolled the ColecoVision and Commodore 64 versions of the game, and they suggested that it is the game's varied action that keeps the players coming back again and again. Possible? <laughs> Interesting. Regarding the VIC-20 version, Electronic Games wrote that this fast-moving, colorful entry is a must. Uh, one of the best games available for the VIC-20, end quote. And Ahoy stated that the VIC-20 version, quote, still has my vote for best of the bunch. The graphics are excellent, end quote. Gorf is included in the 2010 book 1001 Video Games You Must Play Before You Die. I need to get that book. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Going on to the Legacy. 
uh, planned sequel, Ms. Gorf, was never released. Ms. Gorf. Hmm. I wonder what that's about. Uh, it was programmed in the language fourth. The game exists only as a source code stored on a set of 8-inch floppy disks and would require access to a develop development environment that no longer exists in order to compile it into an executable machine code. Wow. Uh, in 2006, an unlicensed port of GORF was released for the Atari Jaguar CD by hobbyist developer 3 Stooges, 3D Stooges Software Studios. Uh, another hobbyist clone for the Game Boy Advance was made available in 2010. Other independent developers is also have also created uh, titles influenced by Gorf on other platforms. Hmm. How about that? And also, the last thing. Uh, on July 8, 2019, Matthew Garrett set a new world record score in Gorf with 1,543,160 points recognized by Twin Galaxies. I know, I saw the video on YouTube. <laughs> uh, that guy is a Gorf master. It's just amazing how good he is at it. But to continue, uh, his game spanned 953 missions across 6 hours and 41 minutes. Garrett holds the world record for both the Arcade 3 and 6 life settings and is the first person to reach Mission 500, having beaten each of the five individual levels 100 times without losing a life. The previous world record was set by Keith Swanson in 2011 with a score of 1,129,660 points. Wow. <laughs> okay, let's see. My personal experiences with it. Uh, this game blew me away when I first saw it. Uh, I think it was at the James E. Strait shows in, uh, I think, the summer of 81. Uh, the voice synthesis, the constant taunting, and the chaotic action all combined to make this a very intense experience, especially once you got to the rank of Space Captain and higher. Uh, the last time I played an actual machine was at the arcade in Brighton, and it was rotated off the floor for a while, but it has since come back. Uh, I did set my all-time high score on this game uh, several months ago. Uh, this was an awesome game, no doubt about it. I recently saw... Matthew Garrett's video where he absolutely wrecks the game and set the world record and I was blown away by his talent and the fact that he keeps a running commentary up while he is just straight up dismantling the game. <laughs> it's awesome to watch. It's always you know pretty cool to watch a true video game master show just how deep his mastery runs of a particular game. It really is. Um, that's my RE experience for it. So let's pivot right into time for some strategy. What happened? Come with that tactics, Mr. Ryan. Oh, I never should have doubted you, boss. There's a plan in everything, kid. And I love it when a plan comes together. Hey, it's about time. Okay, time for some strategy. Now, understand, I am not, <laughs> I am not uh, Matthew Garrett, not even close, but I do have some tactics to be shared with you, so here we go. Uh, Gorf seems like an easy game to play, but you get disabused of that notion fairly quickly. It, stop, it starts off easily enough with a Gorfian alien bouncing back and forth across the screen, dropping Space Invader aliens down in formation. 
if you time your shot right you can shoot it for 250 points but the invaders will keep will still keep emerging until all 21 of them come out they are worth 50 points apiece you play the stage just like space invaders but with a few changes and all to your advantage first you can move your spaceship up and down as well as left and right making it easier to evade the shots from the invaders second you have an energy shield that will disappear when you fire your laser but will stop the invader's shots though it will put holes in the shield as was said in the previous segment uh third you have interrupting shots called quark lasers <laughs> uh, which means that when you fire your laser the shot will continue until it hits a target unless you decide to fire again while the shot is in flight at which point it will disappear and a new shot will emerge from your ship so if you miss you can cancel the shot and shoot again immediately like in any game of space invaders you eliminate the invaders as quickly as you can then it's on to the next stage uh, laser blast is an interesting mini game and I wondered at the time where it came from uh, you deal with two formations of flying enemies, each led by a laser fighter. While the yellow and red ships try to ram your ship, the laser fighters move up and down and side to side, firing a long laser beam as they go. Each yellow and red ship is worth 100 points, and the laser fighters are worth 300. Strategy here is fairly simple. Shoot the red and yellow ships while avoiding laser fire. The best way to kill the laser fighters is to shoot them while they are shooting at you, which is a little risky, but it's better than chasing them around the screen. Galaxians is just like the arcade game, except you have those advantages previously mentioned. Uh, as they arrive and get into formation, you can shoot them, uh, which is something I recommend as you get higher in rank because more and more of them start peeling off for attack runs. Uh, I think if you shoot them in formation, they're 50 points apiece, but the point value goes up when they go on attack runs, just like in the original arcade game. Yellow, one, yellow ones are worth 60 points, purple ones are 80, red ones are 100, and the boss Galactians are 300 points apiece. Uh, basic strategy is to never stop moving and firing and avoid their shots. Uh, in the higher ranks, it gets really crazy really quick, so stick and move. <laughs> uh, Space Warp is probably my favorite minigame, even though in the higher ranks it gets to be the hardest game by far. There are a bunch of dots in the center of the screen which represent enemy ships. They will appear one at a time, either moving in circular or oval movements, shooting fireballs at you. Each ship destroyed is worth 100 points. The strategy here is just like with most of the other mini-games. Keep moving and firing, taking up a spot in the middle of the screen, which will give you full movement in any direction and to avoid the ships and their shots, and fire quickly. Sometimes you can shoot the enemies as they emerge before they get a shot off, though at the higher ranks when the ships are moving and firing so fast, this might not be possible. Uh, the number of enemies at Space Cadet rank are 12, and I think it increases with each rank you attain. If you survive all of that, then you move on to the flagship. You're up against the flagship of the Gorfian Empire, and you have to take it out and to achieve your next level in rank. It's not easy even at Space Cadet rank. Uh, it moves from side to side, moving lower and shooting fireballs at you as it goes. It has a shield that you have to shoot through, then it is vulnerable in only one spot, the reactor core. Uh, you can hit the flagship for 20 points and pieces of it will fly off and move down the screen. You can shoot these pieces for 150 points, but they can kill you if you're not careful. The trick here is to shoot the small area just under the core, which will penetrate and, do, uh, which will penetrate and destroy the ship or wear away the area around the core to make the spot bigger to make the shot easier. 
when you hit the core, the ship blows up in a rather satisfying way. You get a thousand points, and you go up and rank the space captain, and it starts all over again, only harder. I recently got up to Space Avenger recently, and achieved my all-time high score on the game. I did post the pictures on Facebook and Instagram, so if you wanted to see them, they're, they're there. Uh, this game is great, sneaky, complex, and a lot of fun. A true classic. And that's my breakdown on Gorf. You know, the history of it, and my experiences with it, and my strategies on how to get better at it. Although, if you really want to get really good at it, go watch um, Matthew Garrett, who is a, like I said, a true master at it, and he gives you tips and strategies while he's wrecking the game. You know, it's pretty cool to watch. Um, I'll see about posting a sh uh, posting show notes um, when it comes time, when it comes post time for this episode, which I'm hoping to be by Monday, Tuesday at the latest. So, anyway, uh, thoughts, comments, questions, you have, you know, strategy and tactics of your own for this game? Hey, hit me up. I want to know. ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com. And finally, we're going to go on the road. <laughs> uh, this is an arcade run from December 15th, 2019. Um, I forgot what this is about, so let's find out together. folks, Brian here, and this is On The Road. I'm just on my way home from the arcade in Brighton by way of the Kroger supermarket on Grand River Avenue just up the street. Um, it was a pretty okay time. You know, the only thing that was really kind of even remotely special is that I... Uh, got a new personal best on elevator action. Uh, I scored, what was it, 50,650 points. I think that's what the score was. Stupid me didn't take a picture, and I should have. Yeah, it's not like I don't have an Instagram page or anything. But anyway, um, let's see. When I walked in, I saw that they pretty much put back, I'd say probably about 80 to 85% of the machines they had in there at one time. Um, they basically double stacked the middle of the old uh, party slash rest area. Um, and they basically, like I said, they double stacked them with machines. So, you know, I think they just brought back a lot of what they had. They didn't bring back all of it because there are a couple of machines there I wish that they had and they didn't. Um, I spent a good, yeah, I'd say probably about three hours in there, maybe three, three and a half. Um, it was a good time. I mean, I hadn't been to the arcade in like four months, maybe five. Um, 
So, yeah, I just went in there and just, you know, played games and had some fun. Um, I don't think I slept, I know I didn't sleep well last night, so that was contributing to me running out of steam about maybe, I'd say, two hours in, because I found myself playing games and making, at the very least, rookie mistakes. You know, things that I never did with these particular games since I had played, uh, played them when they came out, like Time Pilot. You know, I was just not 100% with it, you know, right around 5.30 or so. Um, I'm not going to go so far as to say it's because, you know, I turned 51 last week, but I'm pretty sure that has something to do with it. But at the same time, yeah, I didn't sleep well last night. Uh, I took a nap in the middle of the day, and that kind of messed up my sleep pattern. So I didn't go to bed till, God, it was it 4.30 in the morning. And then, of course, you know, my son is bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> oh. You know, but his mother got up and took care of him so I could sleep some more. I ended up sleeping until, like, 11. You know, that's about six and a half hours, but even so, it still kind of wasn't enough. I should I should have tried to sleep some more, but I had things to do. So, yeah, I mean, I got in there. I'm, I'm glad that they put back a lot of the games that were missing, quote-unquote, but yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a decent time. I mean, aside from my personal best on elevator action, uh, I played Robotron and that's the, for the first time in four or five months since the last time I was here and I got 600,000, which is for me very, that's very good. <laughs> you know, I've, pretty much upgraded my average score to like 350,000 now because I know what to expect it's just that yeah um I can I do better on average now than I did say say three years ago um they have another Robotron machine in there but this one instead of it being an old school CRT monitor in it uh they had the mar the bezel said 2084 you know so I think this is like I don't know who did it but I think it's sort of like I wouldn't say it's a re-release but I think somebody's putting out uh, putting out um, replacement parts for it um, the screen was much sharper you know you could see what was going on a lot better and it, you know it was just as much fun to play as it as the original a few machines down was um i got six hundred thousand on the original machine and i got like close to five hundred thousand on the uh on the uh what's the name uh the 2084 machine i'm gonna have to look that up when i get home uh because i'm curious as to you know what's this what's this all about you know, because it was a brand new marquee, marquee, brand new bezel, and it was interesting to look at. And I was just like, 
huh, I wonder what's going on here. Then I actually looked at the screen. I'm like, oh, that's a flat screen. That's not a CRT. Hmm, I wonder how it plays. And I played it, and I did fairly well. Somebody had a high score of up over a million. Um, I think I got the, yeah, I got the second highest score with, like, close to 500,000. So, yeah, that was okay. Um, let's see. Um, somebody topped my score on Star Wars by about 28,000. Uh, I think the high score in that machine now is a million. 579 and I think mine is like a million 550 something so yeah <laughs> I was like I was mildly annoyed when I saw that but you know I played a game I played a game and I think the first one I got was like close to a million three um and after that I could feel that my energy level wasn't quite where it needs to be to play games at the arcade so, you know, I just went from game to game. I played a couple of pinball machines. You know, just a typical uh, run at the arcade in Brighton. I mean, you know, nothing earth-shattering, but, you know, I had fun, which is the reason why I go there in the first place. You know, everybody who knows me tells me that I don't do enough for myself. And, you know, while I agree with them, it's like, look, it's not a question of, doing for myself is a question of having the money to be able to do for myself. <laughs> that's that's the key. Sorry, I had to take a sip of lemonade. Um, I saw that they've got a bunch of different uh, games. Uh, they have a motorcycle game, which is like four, link, four linked machines. Then right next to it, they have an ATV uh, racing machine, which had, I think is linked uh, to four. Uh, I think those are the new games that uh, I saw on um, their Facebook page, I'd say probably about a month ago. Um, they still have the Star Wars Battle Pod. They moved that over to the far corner. You know, I played that, and it's as loud as ever. I mean, it's almost too loud. Um, it's still a lot of fun to play, although the problem is, is that um, where they put it in the uh, arcade, now sunlight is shining through the back of the pod, and it, the light ends up on the screen, and you can't see quite as well. I mean, it's a bit of an annoyance, but, you know, I'll live with it. I love Star Wars Battle Pod. It's a great game. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, let's see. Oh, uh, let's see. I played Hyper Ms. Pac-Man with that weird scoring setup, and I couldn't focus. I That's when I knew I was tired, because I just couldn't focus. And I was zigging instead of zagging and basically killing myself. Either that or waiting too long in a particular quadrant and trying to draw the ghost to the power pellet and waiting too long and, tra and getting trapped. And at that point, I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is how it's gonna go, so all right, I'll just deal with this. Oh, uh, let's see, what else? Um, yeah, played the Iron Maiden uh, Pinball Machine Legacy of the Beast. The tilt on that is so sensitive. I mean, ridiculously sensitive. Um, I played the Star Trek uh, the J.J. Abrams movie tie-in machine. 
Now, I did fairly well, and, you know, it was okay. Um, let's see, what else did I play? Played Time Pilot, of course, played Gyrus. Um, I actually got, like, two warps from Earth before I choked. <laughs> and, once again, that was an indication of how tired I was, because usually, if I play Gyrus with any sort of serious, I can get to Earth without too much of a problem. Uh, let's see, what else did I play? Um, I played some Bosconian, I did a, I did a pedestrian 70,000 there, I'm usually good for close to 100. Um, but, you know, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too bad at all. Um, it's just one of these things where, yeah, I've got to go and... I've got to get to the arcade right a little bit more often, once every two weeks at the very, at, once a month at the very least, but once every two weeks would be uh, just peachy keen for me. Oh, let's see. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of about it. So this will be a short on the road segment. Uh, nothing is coming to mind uh, for me to kind of expound upon in, in gaming. Um, I did play Battletech last night. I got back into it. I started playing the um, the career mode. And with the career mode, of course, you basically have 1,200 days to get your uh, mercenary uh, ranking as high as possible. That means taking on tons of missions and, you know, accomplishing them with alacrity, shall we say. Um, I'm actually doing well there. I'm actually picking up mechs that I really, really wanted. You know, and, you know, you find yourself going up against them and you get salvaged if you destroy them in a certain way. I mean, the best way to, to take out mechs in that, in that game is to take both of the legs out because that basically puts the mech out of action and then you can salvage more of uh of that mech and usually if you do it that way uh you you're able to get like at least two uh salvage uh, uh two units of salvage from that mech and with the way i have the game set up if you get three salvage three salvage units of a particular mech you end up, you can get that mech and have it in your uh, collection. I love this game. I mean, this this takes me, like I said before uh, when I recorded episode 20, um, this takes me all the way back to the days when I was with my gaming group, with my friend Matt, my friend Chris, um, John, um, the other Chris, his brother Steve, um, Raphael, uh, Matt's brother, um, Jason, and, you know, it was like this crew of, like, God, I want to say, la, 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 I think it was, like, 16, like, 15, 16 kids, and I was, you know, Chris is a year older than me, we were the elder statesmen of that group, it was, like, me, him, and, uh, Chris, uh, the other Chris's brother, Steve. We were the, like the oldest of the group. So the other guys kind of, you know, looked up to us a little bit. It was kind of funny. You know, I mean, I remember helping 
Matt through a particularly nasty breakup with his ex-girlfriend and you know trying to talk him out of try of basically going around bad mouthing the girl wherever wherever he goes because nothing is to be you know there's nothing to be gained by that and it probably will end up hurting him in the long run um we go to Milford Rec you know quite a bit you know of course we would get together at Matt's house and Matt's parents were really good people I, I loved his parents you know they were always they were always good people um you know we go over Matt's house sometimes we go over John's house sometimes we go over uh Chris and Steve's house um, and we get together, we play Shadowrun, we play Battletech, we play um, Cyberpunk. Uh, I ran a D&D game once. Um, the best Shadowrun game we ever played was uh, uh, where we took uh, the city of Bridgeport where we most of us lived. Uh, it, most of us lived in either Trumbull or, or Bridgeport couple couple kids lived in Fairfield but we took that whole area and just you know made it like this huge uh corporate state but the east end of Bridgeport from the you know from the east end of downtown all the way out to uh Stratford uh that was like a demilitarized zone you know where the police did not go in there and chaos reigned and we had these really cool and memorable uh, runs, and you know it was a lot of fun. Um, another one we played when we played BattleTech. We played uh, this one unit in this one area of space that basically got reduced down to like I think like five systems because of the clan invasion. Hmm. Excuse me, had to take another sip of lemonade. Um, and so we ended up, you know, becoming a mercenary unit and we go to like, you know, we went to like Solaris, like I said, episode 20, went to Solaris seven. We all became rich because we got into the tournaments and one of the NPCs in the, uh, in the company that we had formed, one of the NPCs won the grand champion uh won the grand champion uh tournament um and one of the other players won like uh his uh weight division uh and you know that was a lot of fun um i missed those days because it was just cool because i talked to these guys online you know we would talk on dda we would leave each other emails and uh on um bulletin boards and so forth and so on and you know I hung out with Matt quite a bit me and Chris hung, started hanging out quite a bit and it was a, a really good gaming group up until when I left uh, the area in 1993 so yeah it was cool mm. I do plan on going to the Arcane Brighton uh, probably at the end of the month, as long as I, as long as I'm able to clear bills for the beginning of the month, of course, being rent and whatnot, but we shall see. So anyway, I've got to drop off some groceries before I go home. So I'm going to end it here. Uh, this is Brian saying, have fun out there. Good gaming.
au revoir. This has been the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. All music has been provided by Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at Incompetech.com. You can contact the show by email at arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com, or you can call and leave a voicemail at 734-743-2433. Until next time, you have been listening to the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. See you then.